The first reading this morning comes from 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given to you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end, so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is from 1 Corinthians 12, beginning at verse 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptised by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, but because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honourable we treat with special honour, and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, 
every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, um, Brian and Kerry. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you here. This is the third and final part in the series, as Shane alerted us to in this series, Building the Body. Uh, I'm going to lead us in prayer. Would you like to join me? Father God, we thank you for gathering us together. As we come before your holy word, inspired by your spirit, pointing us to Jesus, we pray, Father, that you would have your way with us. Transform our minds, transform our hearts, and make us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. For your glory we pray. Amen. So, the big idea of this final talk is pretty much this, that Jesus gives us a blueprint for building his body beautifully. Jesus gives us a blueprint for building his body beautifully. Um, but before we get there, I just want to share a little story of bodily dysfunction. Uh, it concerns the following people, everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. You may know this. Everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. There was a very important job to be done. Everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about this because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody could do it. Nobody realized that everybody would not do it. And so the result was that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. <laughs> and it's cute, but I do wonder sometimes whether we might find ourselves considering if this is the sort of thing that could happen at our church here at Fig Tree. Sometimes the kind of thing that could be said about the spiritual gifts and the ministry in the church. And we've been working our way through 1 Corinthians 12, in which Paul is dealing with this issue of gifts that have been given, and ministry and works of service. And the Corinthians had all sorts of weird ideas about this. So they'd written a letter to Paul, and Paul had written back to them to help them understand what it means to be truly spiritual. Uh, he works through all this material across uh, chapters 12, 13, and 14. And just for those who've asked, my able companion in preparing this series has been Don Carson in this helpful book, Showing the Spirit. And uh, you're very welcome to borrow that or seek it out later if you would like to know more. But the first thing that we have seen very clearly from Paul's uh, chapter here is that to be truly spiritual is not a particular gift, 
but to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. A biblically understood confession of Jesus as Lord. The second thing that Paul wanted to affirm is that we have, as God's people, unity in Christ, even though we are all very different from one another. And that there's a great diversity, including our giftedness, a whole variety of different gifts, but nobody's been left without one. The third point was this, that everybody has been given a manifestation of the Spirit. Now today I have a gift for you, uh, just something to remind you. If you just reach under your chair, you know when you do on an aircraft and there's, a, there's a, an inflatable to, to save you, just have a little reach under your chair and I'm hoping, really, that there's something there for you. Thank you, Tina. There are lollies under your chair. And I'm rather hoping that nobody has been left without one because it makes the point that everybody has been given at least one spiritual gift. I am sorry if you're without. Some of them have fallen off and Dave has very helpfully gone around and put them all back on again. But every single one of us has a gift which has been given for the common good. So if you confess Jesus as Lord, you have a gift, at least one, not all, that has been given for the good of the body. And Paul concluded last week that the work of one and the same spirit, he gives each one grace gifts for use to love and care for one another. And we come now to this section where we pick up this body metaphor. The body of Christ, my first point, verses 12 to 14. Now, it follows quite logically from Paul's previous argument that there's a diversity of grace gifts given to the church for the common good. And he says in verse 12, the body is a unit, though it's made up of many parts. And though its parts are many, they form one body. And we expect at that point Paul to say, and so it is with the church. But he does not say that. He says, and so it is with Christ. And the first thing I want us to see very clearly from Paul's words is we don't belong to a what. We belong to a whom. You remember when Paul met the risen Lord Jesus? Jesus didn't say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute my church? What did he say to him? Why do you persecute me? We belong to a whom? The Lord Jesus Christ. And we must never confuse the body to whom we belong with our perception of a body to which we belong. We're not part of a body of humanity, though we are, more than this. We're not part of a cosmic oneness. We're not part of a body politic. The description of the body of Christ to whom we belong is the one who will endure for all eternity. We participate in the body of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And we have unity, verse 13. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free. We were all given the one spirit to drink. There's quite a lot of debate about what this verse actually means. I don't think it is referring to the water baptism or confirmation or the Lord's Supper, good though these things are. But I think what Paul is doing here is he is referring to the fact that we, as God's people, have had a spiritual baptism the spiritual baptism and renewal that takes place when we give a heartfelt confession that Jesus is Lord. 
and we see the transforming power of the Spirit who indwells us to make us more like him. When we believe that Jesus has given his life on a cross for our sins and has brought forgiveness and has turned away the rightful wrath of God against us and has risen from death into eternal life and we repent and determine to live his way, that is a baptism of the Spirit. It's a reference to our unity that we are a Spirit-filled community. But we do maintain diversity. Some years ago, Sarah and I were in China, and we had the great privilege of gathering at the uh, International Church in Beijing. And when we were uh, asked to stand up if we were new, amongst the thousand throng, about a third of us all stood up. And it was such a lot of variety. There was Sarah and I. But then there was all the Americans draped in their flags. <laughs> and, then there was, and then there was uh, all, all, all these uh, other folks in national dress. And, and you could see people from Southeast Asia. You could see the, the, the beautiful color and array of the clothing of the people who'd come from the African continent. And there was such a variety in how people moved. Um, so that when there were prayers uh, said, uh, people said amen. But when there were things said in the sermon that were encouraging, people said amen. And when there was singing, there was dancing and there was swaying. And it was all very un-Anglican. But, um, <laughs> but there was such a lovely variety of God's people in how they spoke and what they looked like. And likewise, we have a diversity of giftedness. Have a look at your lolly. Because I suspect it will be different to the one that the person next to you has. Because there's a whole variety of grace gifts that God has given us. And the giftedness we have, that diversity, is of value to God because there is no appendix in the body of Christ. You know that body part? I mean, there might be a medic here who tells me otherwise, but in my 50 years, my understanding is that the appendix, it might have had a purpose, but right now you can chop it out and it makes no difference to the, the well-being of the body. And in essence, what Paul is saying is that nobody in the body of Christ is an appendix. And so when we come to verses 15 to 20, there's not one person, not one part of the body, who can say, I am not needed. Every part of the body is there because God has provided it. So if a foot should say, verse 15, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And some of the Corinthians were feeling inferior in terms of their giftedness. And they were feeling like they were not part of the body. Sometimes we can feel that we are inferior because of the gifts that God has given us. Uh, sometimes we can feel that our not-so-inferior gifts are employed in an inferior way. That if we had our way, we would employ our gifts more effectively than we are able or feel others want us to do. But Paul says that any member that feels or seems inferior cannot reasonably say that they do not belong. Because God has put each of them there. And God himself has organized the allocation of gifts in the local church. And God is sovereign. And he has a plan for each and every one of us. And he has put us exactly where he wants us to be. Verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? 
If they were all one part, where would the body be? You see, if we were all ears, we wouldn't be an organism, would we? We'd be a collection of organs. And no matter how useful an organ might be, I mean, hearts are very useful in the body and lungs are very useful in the body, but if you take them out of the body, they're no use at all. So each of us has a role to play in the body of Christ. Verse 20, as it is, there are many parts, but one body, the body of Christ. So it's not appropriate for any member of the body to feel threatened by another member. We must never feel that our gifts are not exactly where God wants them to be, to be employed for the common good. And secondly, Paul goes on to say, who can say, you are not needed? If a part of the body cannot say to other parts of the body, I am not needed, likewise, no part of the body can say to another part of the body, you are not needed. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I do not need you. You remember how the Corinthians are exalting some particular gifts? They look at the supernatural gifts and go, those are very special gifts. And they're looking at the ordinary gifts and they're going, those are very ordinary gifts. Verse 22, on the contrary, in fact, Paul's about to say that the true value of a particular body part is often inversely proportional to its outward appearance. Have a look with this. He says, on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there would be no division, and that its parts should have equal concern for one another. God values every member of his body, every one. And he plans to honor what we dishonor because God honors humility. He honors the person of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who was the suffering servant, who relinquished his membership of the Godhead himself to come into this broken world and become a man and to lay down his life. And so in the role that we have in the body, we should never feel that we're not contributing. If we play a big role, we are humbled because the person of Jesus, in his unsurpassing humility, came into this world to lay down his life for us. And it has to be said that our perceptions are often flawed, aren't they? About what value is in the body. Now, I'm going to ask Shane to come on up to help me with this um, demonstration because I want us to look together at verse 26. I want to show you in a practical way how, as it says, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Thanks, Shane. Uh, Shane is um, here, a big, buffy bloke with a big, buffy hand. But look what happens when I take one little body part to his whole body. <laughs> Thank you. One little body part can control every other part of the body. Now, how crazy would it be for Shane to take his own body part and start abusing it like that? You see the effect on the whole body. This is what Paul is saying. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. 
If the weaker parts suffer, look at the effect on the body. Yet this is what we are doing if we dismiss or demean or divide. If one part is honored then, we all rejoice because that is what it means to be the beautiful body of Christ. Followers of Jesus cannot think in terms of individualism. We are all part of his body. And Paul encourages the Corinthians to have a change of perspective, to think in terms of a body where our attitude is one that prioritizes the whole body of Christ as beautiful. There's no place for spiritual one-upmanship or promotion of self or jealousy of gifts. And Paul concludes his metaphor with a reaffirmation of our bodily membership with a list. And this is my third and final point for us today, that we're building together the body beautiful. Firstly, verse 27, and this takes us through to the end of the chapter. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Every one of you. Because God put you here. That's the first point I want us to take away from verse 27. You're here because Jesus has ordained for each and every one of us to be members of his body since before the beginning of time. Secondly, uh, God has given us what he needs to grow the body. Uh, Our local gathering, our local congregation, comprises members of the eternal church And we certainly do not see all the gifts in one person, but as I've said before, each and every one has at least one gift. But I have to say in our church community here over the last few months, I've noticed that a lot of us have a lot of gifts. There are some extraordinarily accomplished people here, and we have more than our fair share of giftedness. But Paul, in these final verses, puts together a list, and he says, verses 29 to 30, Are all apostles, these are rhetorical questions, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak tongues, do all interpret? And the answer, of course, to each of those questions is no. But what is clear is the progression of how a church is established. And I think Paul's order here shows us exactly that. How do you start a church? You send send a church planter, an apostle, one having been sent by Christ. And then you have a prophet, somebody who will proclaim the word of God. And then thirdly, we have teachers, pastor teachers, as they're described in the letter to the Ephesians, who supplement evangelism with discipleship. And so it goes on as the church is built and grows that these other gifts are added to the community. And after God establishes, there's scope for those other gifts to come into play. But notice how Paul puts tongues and interpretations of tongue, interpretation of tongues last on the list. Because again, those are the supernatural gifts that the Corinthians have been exalting. They have their place, as we learn in chapter 14, for Paul does not forbid tongues. But they're not up the top. So in practical terms, I wonder... Uh, what this might mean for us as a church in building the body of Christ. And I have three things for us to consider together. Firstly, I've been asking you this every week. Have you been asking God 
what your gifts are and how to deploy those gifts for the common good. I said as well that if you're still not sure (laughs) that you can ask somebody who knows you well. And I would love for you to act upon that because we have many opportunities to serve here at Fig Tree and it delights us as a ministry team when we can talk with you. I know that some of you we come and lay a hand on and say, hey, have you thought about this? But as the Lord is leading you through your conviction, come speak with us that we might counsel and commonly come together to a mind in Christ about how we might move forward as a church fellowship in our service of one another. Secondly, I want to share a quote that somebody very kindly sent me this week from Dane Ortland, who says this, and I quote, staying home to watch church, staying home to watch church is like staying home from a friend's wedding to watch the ceremony virtually and then keeping your wedding gift with you. Your presence and solidarity and love and hugs and eye contact and singing are needed. It's not just about passively receiving something, it's about being an embodied part of the celebration. The whole event is diminished by your absence. You have a gift to give. May I say to you, come and join us, those who are not with us. We need you, and God has given you to us. Thirdly, I want us to remember that there are seasons in life. I mean, if you think back to 10 years ago, can you remember how you had a different giftedness or perhaps a different level of energy? (laughs) And perhaps now how you have a level of wisdom and insight that you did not have a few decades ago things change don't they and I think it's really important for us to recognize that there are seasons in life and I want to commend to you the National Grandparent Conference we have Ian with us today if you want to pop your hand up Ian say good day that'd be lovely Ian's going to be over at the stand the National Grandparent Movement stand out the front there you can go and say hello to him and learn a little bit more But one of the wonderful things about the diversity that we have in our church is a diversity of ages. A little later, we're going to have a whole family service at 10 o'clock, and you're all welcome to come, where we'll gather together, both young and old, to be encouraged as a family from the Word of God, somewhat differently from how I'm doing it right now, because there is diversity, but we can find ways to love and serve one another. And I think that the conference will be a great time to gather together to learn how we can share the giftedness that we have for an older season, but also for a younger season, and also for integration and intergenerational service of one another. So can I commend that to you? And finally, if um, you're still unsure as to how to employ your gifts, Paul closes this series asking what gifts should the Corinthians desire? And he says in verse 31, desire the greater gifts. But what are the greater gifts? Well, it seems to me possible that the greater gifts are those gifts that we probably would not seek out. I think that it's Paul saying to the Corinthians and us that it's probably right for us to pray for and cultivate certain gifts in the context of the sovereignty of the Spirit of God but that we might desire the less visible gifts 
that have been given the special honour and treatment in 23. For if God values these gifts more than others, you can be assured they're not going to get any glory. They're not going to get the recognition. And God will get the glory, and he deserves it. Is that possible? I might be drawing a long bow here. But if God values these gifts more than others, and we will go unnoticed, it seems there's no room for pride. And Jesus will be the one who is exalted as we as parts of the body work together to honor the whole body, which is Christ himself. And it will develop in us a humility and dependence that allows us to showcase God and his goodness and his faithfulness and his love. Paul says, desire the greater gifts so that we can build the body beautiful. Now, I was going to draw a line there, but I can't. Because Paul goes on in this next verse to say, and now I will show you the most excellent way. And we move into chapter 13. And I want to encourage you to read chapter 13 and 14 for yourself and see that if I can speak in tongues of men or the tongues of angels all day long, I'm nothing but, prepare yourselves please, Now, if that was horrible for you, think about what it was like for me up here. It's a ghastly noise, isn't it? I want to just address motivation in serving the body. Paul observes that when we possess knowledge but do not have love, that's how we sound. Knowledge just puffs up, doesn't it? Knowledge makes me think that I'm a clever clogs. But Paul says the excellent way is that even if we serve one another 101 ways, if we do it without love as our means and motivation, it's worthless. And I know for myself, and I think for us perhaps as a church, that we do not meditate enough on the character of love. For love is patient, and love is kind, and love is not angry, and love is not boastful, and love is not proud. And I want us to go away just spending some honest time with God to say to him, Lord, Do I do these things out of a sense of duty? Do I do these things out of a sense of pride? Because the way we serve one another here will be shown for what it is. Because people will be drawn to our church as they encounter the love of Christ. Where we are sacrificially hearted in using the gifts that he has given us for the common good. And they will see Christ in us. I know at times I, I feel a sense of responsibility and that drives me. And I know at times that I feel a sense of worth and that drives me. But God says to me here through Paul, let's keep working to put those things to death that love would be our driver and we would be drawn to the love of Christ in one another. Let me... Lead us in prayer. Father God, thank you that Jesus has so loved us that he gave his life, that whomever would believe in him would never perish but have life eternal. Thank you, Father God, for this wonderful uh, passage, this chapter that we've been able to look together that showcases the body beautiful and how we pray that in the days and the weeks and the months ahead, that you would keep prompting us to use the gifts that you've given us to serve the body beautiful, the body that is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
May we continue to do this in a way that honours you and serves one another and showcases the sacrificial love of Jesus for the infinite worth that it genuinely is. Help us to discard motivations of duty. Help us to discard motivations of pride. And may we adopt the better way. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.